I'm Alex Trepchinski. I'm Angie Check. I'm Barbara Stewart. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I'm Marin Green. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Valerie Jacobson. And this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Sacred Cow, the case for better meat. Why well-raised meat is good for you and good for the planet. This is the title of the book authored by my guest today, in conjunction with his co-author, the lovely Diana Rogers, who I'm also going to have on the podcast in the future. You're probably no stranger to Rob Wolf. He wrote a book that was groundbreaking, gosh, what was it, 20 years ago, Rob? Something like that. Paleo Solution, which I read the end of college and then I reread it when I was in med school because I was finding myself so disillusioned with what I was learning in med school because it didn't provide me any of the tools to help prevent disease in the first place. And I was realizing, gosh, throughout all these lectures, nobody's really talking about gluten. Nobody's talking about diet. Nobody's really talking about these things. And as my good friend Jacob Egbert has presented in, in conferences like Paleo FX, which is where I met Rob, we get like a half hour of nutritional education in our, in our medical training, you know, and, it, and it's not even really nutritional training. It's like how many calories per day? And it's all macros. It's protein, fats, carbs, as if it, you know, you're choosing at the pump, you know, at the gas, gas station between diesel, unleaded, premium and, and supreme, you know, and, and that's not how we work. We are biodynamic organisms. We are connected to the soil and when you grow healthy soil and cows eat healthy, healthy grass grown from healthy soil, and then you eat that cow, you're optimizing the benefits of meat. So when we look at studies about meat, namely the work of Ansel Keys and, and the demonization of saturated fat and animal products from, gosh, what was it, 60 years ago, we have to really be thoughtful. What type of meat are we talking? If you're going to Kroger's, which is our local grocery store brand, and you're buying a package of the cheapest ground beef possible, then yeah, if you're eating that time and time again, that means you're eating cows that have been standing in their own squalor and due to the poor living conditions, they've been jacked up with antibiotics in order to produce fat cows that can be slaughtered on a regular timely basis. We have to also pump them up with hormones to make, make sure they're growing as quickly as possible. And as you know, the fat in meat, as the fat in, in your body, is where the vast majority of toxic shit is stored. So when you're eating this perfectly marbled steak that's been grown on some feedlot, you've got a cow that's fully loaded with toxic stuff, and then you're eating it. Do we know what that toxic stuff does to the body? I think we can guess, but we don't really know. Instead, what people say is, do you eat meat? Are you eating forks over knives? Are you eating regeneratively, biodynamically raised cows, goats, pigs, etc., that haven't been exposed to months or years of, of toxically raised grass in toxic-laden soil. That's where the money is at. So that's a good reason to read the book. <laughs> it's a good reason to read the book. Rob and I do talk a little bit about the book. We also talk about freedom and what's at stake through the this sort of perversion of informed consent nowadays. That's a big, big, big thing that we should all be thoughtful about. We also talk about his new brand, LMNT, which provides electrolyte support to those who are adopting a ketogenic lifestyle. I've done a lot of ketosis in my life. I go into ketosis very, very quickly. It's just how genetically, it's cellularly, metabolically how I function. 
And it never occurred to me that, man, those muscle twitches and all that stuff that happens when I'm ketogenic, even though I feel great otherwise, I get, I get like the lid twitches, I get biceps twitching. Could it be due to electrolyte imbalances? And could that be actually sucking the life out of me over the long haul? So he makes this great product. He talks all about that. I can't speak any more than I already have. I've, I've already bloviated enough. Before we get into the interview, remember nothing here that you're going to hear is a replacement for the information you get from your medical doctors, your, your care provider. This is entertainment. This is information. Take it and you make of it what you will. I'm not saying everybody should be ketogenic. I'm not saying everybody should eat meat or shouldn't eat meat. There are some people that are only eating meat and they're doing great. My friend Jacob Egbert, he's a doctor and he actually doesn't eat vegetables anymore. And if you look at Paul Saladino's work, there's a lot of good evidence out there that that meat is actually far more important than vegetables. I don't personally subscribe to that, but some people try it and they're high performers, high achievers, and they're doing great on it. So there's nuance here. So everything you hear has to be taken as a piece of the puzzle, not the answer to your health woes. So we are a 501c3. We're providing education, but I am a doctor and I have a practice. It's a holistic OBGYN practice where I care for women, their babies, and their partners through a holistic lens, a truly holistic lens. We're not just talking about birthing at home. We're not just talking about vaginal steaming. We're talking about body, spirit, soul. And that's what I do for a living. So you can find me at BelovedHolistics.com. You can hire me for consultation. You can buy a package of time. I will be your doctor from afar or in person, whatever you prefer. Uh, you can also sign up for my collaborator program there. If you are a, a health practitioner of any sort and you need an MD consultant frequently, find me and my collaborator program at BelovedHolistics.com. If you're looking for the show notes, HolisticOBJWaynePod.com. That's where you can find all of the notes and references that, that, uh, that Rob and I make in the show including information on how to reach out to Rob and connect with him. He's a great guy. He's very thoughtful, and I'm so happy to have him in my tribe. So without further ado, here's my conversation with the one and only Rob Wolf. Rob Wolf, thank you. I, I have to, uh, you're on the Holistic OBGYN podcast, and it's been a long time coming that uh, I got to speak with you again in person because you may not remember this, but uh, first off, I, I've been fanboying um, ever since I found your book, Paleo Solution. I think I was a first year med student, and I was like, good golly, why aren't we learning more of this stuff in med school? And as you know, and I don't know if you're friends with Jacob Ed Egbert, but he has become a dear friend of mine. And he had given a, a talk at one of these early paleo conferences about how little your doctor knows about nutrition. <laughs> and uh, he and I met mm -hmm. at one of the ancestral health symposiums, one, one of those conferences. And I, I distinctly remember meeting you at uh, maybe paleo effects in Austin. God, this had to be like 2009, 2010. Like, I mean, we're talking over a decade ago. And I was in the green room because I was one of yeah. the volunteers helping to organize. You walked in with your little kids. You handed me one of your kids, and I was holding one of the members of the wolf pack. And I was like, holy shit. Rob Wolf just walked in and handed me his child. And now he's getting all of his things ready. And I, I just remember thinking, like, I'm a med student. I have no medical knowledge. I've never, I don't owe this, you know, anything to the universe that, for this. But I had been like actively reading your book, and you walked in and handed me your kid. Do you remember this by any chance? I, I do. Uh, you you struck me as a, uh, a trustworthy individual to free up some hands while I got my shit together. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, you and your wife are there, your kids. I mean, it was like, I've got two kids under two now, so I like totally get it. But at the time it was like, oh my God, 
he trusts me to hold his baby. It was just one of those, uh, one of those funny, <laughs> funny memories. Nobody has a story like that about like one of their sort of celebrity authors that they, that they were totally digging on at the time. So, so Rob, it's a huge pleasure to have you on my show. Thank you for coming. Huge honor. Thank you. <laughs> So there are so many directions we can take this talk. I think uh, one one reason that I, I I kind of dug my my teeth into what you'd been working on for years was there was I don't know maybe five six seven years ago you had said on one of your podcasts or something you were like I'm just over the conversation around macros right there was the the paleo movement everybody was weighing their food they were getting fat protein and carbs in the right ratio to optimize health. And I was like immediately disillusioned with that approach because it wasn't going to help me with my patients. I certainly didn't want to weigh my food. And so sort of in line with that, I remember you saying this on the podcast and I was like, okay, where else is this guy going with us? And you graduated from the simple conversation around macros to permaculture, to libertarianism, to sovereignty, to um, wanting to move away from everything and, and, and open up your own coconut farm. I mean, I remember all of these little things coming through. And so uh, to start the show off, I kind of want to know, you know, Rob Wolf, you, you wrote this book, The Paleo Solution, years ago, which was a game changer for so many people like me. And so thank you for that. It was a bestseller before I was even out of my, my short code in medical school. But where, where, like, what are you really passionate about right now? Man, that's a good question. I mean, if, if I'm really honest, I'm passionate about my family doing some jujitsu my wife, Nikki, bought me a guitar 10 years ago, which I had neglected to do anything with. And then um, five days before Christmas, I had downloaded this musician app you yeah, know, that in yeah. theory teaches you to play, you know, different, different instruments. I was like, fuck it. You know, it was 130 bucks. I put it in there. I started practicing every day and like, I, I'm not great, but um, a month down range and I can play some stuff, you know, and I've never been able to play a damn thing on the guitar. And I actually, if I have a spare five minutes, like that's what I go do. It's interesting, like really passionate about that stuff. You know, it gets kind of big picture things like I'm, I'm really concerned and passionate about what I see as being kind of like the uh, eroding edges of Western liberal democracies. Yeah. Like I'm, yeah. I'm really legit concerned because I have two kids and, and maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe the world's going in a fantastic direction and, and censorship and, and uh, you know, one size fits all medical practices and, and all that stuff are actually great and very avant-garde and forward-looking, but it, it, it kind of terrifies and horrifies me. And, um, but at the same time, I'm, in, I'm, it, Here's a weird thing because I did have some success with this paleo thing and I was early in CrossFit. I got maybe a little bit cocksure about being able to change the world. Mm. Like, fuck, anybody can change the world. If I can, anybody can, you know? And yeah. uh and then you get in and you look at this stuff and you're like, oh, that's uh <laughs> that's like sticking your hand into a wood chipper. Like if you stick it in enough, it's gonna suck you all the way in yeah. and yeah. it's gonna spit out pieces. And yeah. so I'm definitely passionate about that and and also trying to check myself and figure out where's reality, where's my own neuroses, you know, what 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 it, are the fights worth fighting and some days I I feel like just folding up shop and disappearing and doing kind of the coconut farm analogy and focusing on my family and other days, you know, people will reach out to me and uh, my wife and I have been chipping away at our our podcast over the last couple of years, you know, trying to weave our way through COVID and some of these social changes and everything. And and people will say, 
I think I might have killed myself had you not had your podcast. <laughs> yeah. I think I might have been a way worse parent. I, you know, and it's like, how many of those do you get before you're like, oh, okay, I can't stop. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I, I can't not do this stuff. So I don't know if I fully answered your question, but I'm I'm definitely um interested in the way that the world is is unfolding. And uh it at my heart, like I'm I'm very into freedom and options and opportunity and all that type of stuff. And I, I see, uh, I see the world being very at odds with that. I see a world that has become super enamored with, um, fear and with control yeah, and with this notion that if we can control all the variables that, that somehow we'll be able to, you know, make everything right and make everything equitable and make everything just. And I, I think that dance has been danced before, and usually millions of people die in the process. Of that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. All of those things. I think that uh, these last two years, there's actually been a, a great silver lining is, has been an opportunity, especially as a physician, right? I've got two specialties. Um, I've had to really, I've really struggled with the whole COVID thing, but not for the reasons that people think. It's more like, hey, I want to have conversations. I want to be able to be curious about this. And there's there hasn't been much reward or incentive to be curious, you know, these past two years. So, no. uh, no. t- to say the yeah. least, and uh, yeah, I don't want to make it, it's, it's certainly for me is not a political issue. It's, it's been kind of heading this direction for a while. Like let's take birth women telling me that, man, in my last birth, I had an unmedicated birth. Everything went great. I, the baby's doing fine, but something didn't feel right about the process. I didn't feel like I was Somebody, the, the doctor, the, nurse, the midwife, or whoever counseled me on the risks, benefits, alternatives. What's up with that? And I'm like, you know, our system is not training people for the, you know, to, to empower them with the information to make an informed decision or to exercise their right to refuse treatment. It's just like my way or the highway. And, um, and now fast right. forward, we've these past two years, there's people being deplatformed de- for people, you know, for presenting the risks of something like a vaccine, right? Like, I'm not going to say I'm pro or against vaccine, but I am pro bioethics and, you know, the patient autonomy and informed right. decision making. And we've seen a degradation of that, which I think is hard for any of us who are curious in this space. Well, and, and as a doctor, I, I was just on a podcast, uh, uh, about 45 minutes ago. And one of the conversations that we had, it, 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 it kind of went into this space. And I think you being a physician, this would potentially be interesting and maybe you'll call bullshit and you're like, no, Rob, you're, you're crazy. But there was a time I feel like, and it was even like part of TV commercials where your doctor gives you a diagnosis or a prognosis. What is the immediate thing that the doctor says on the heels of that? Like what was almost, okay, here's your situation. And what do they say next? Or I recommend you get a second opinion. Oh yeah. Okay. Like that's fair. Yeah. Th- that was just like fuck baked in the cake, right? Yeah. Like yeah. here's my here's my situation. But my friend Charlie is also a cardiologist and he looks at things differently. I would recommend you get a second opinion. Yeah. Second opinions will get you your your head cut off now. Yeah. Like right. what we're doing now effectively is like there is no second opinion. Like the second opinion is gone. And this just struck me like the other, the other day, there is a one size fits all approach within this kind of pandemic response deal. And again, we don't have to go really deep. Like it's been so hash out, but it just struck me the other day that there is no second opinion in medicine any longer. And I've seen that 
happening more and more as medicine has become more and more formularic. <laughs> it's like, okay, to, to meet rheumatoid arthritis guidelines, you need boom, 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 boom. Right. You need all these right. things. And if two of the four don't fit, then you're not rheumatoid arthritis. Well, my hands hurt and I, you know, and I have cardiovascular inflammation. Well, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't tick all the Sorry, you're, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't fit the algorithm. And yeah. this is one of the things that, um, terrifies me again is the centralization of authority on this and removing the authority from the the doctor who historically has been a practicing scientist, a clinical scientist who is armed with a lot of good stuff, but oftentimes is presented with something and and all the the stuff doesn't fit a, a perfect diagnosis of this or that. You know, it's maybe, right. you know, particularly within this kind of autoimmune inflammation world, it's like, ah, oh, it looks a little autoimmune, looks like kind of mast cell activation. Like we don't have yet, you know, these perfect buckets, but the doctor would look at that and then think, well, maybe if we do some histamine modification, we can we can do something about this. Yeah. And we tinker yeah. with it. We experiment. Here's our hypothesis. We experiment. Oh yeah, doc, I do feel better. I'm not, I don't get the gastric issues if I avoid like fermented foods. Okay, great. It, you know, and we, we go forward. That is basically going away. Yeah. Like this is part it, and people may scoff at this, but the way that we are approaching this, you know, medicine 3.0 or, you know, medicine in the modern age, because it's become so algorithmically driven and so, um, tied to only RCTs. And like, if there's not an RCT, then there, there's no information and there's no possibility yeah. that one could discover information on something, you know, the, uh, uh which was a whole, uh, fascinating expose on the evidence-based medicine movement was spun up out of, uh, I forget which company it was, but it was a pharmaceutical company's behest no kidding to, to really <laughs> tie things in. yeah and there's a there's a there's a documentary on this thing you wow. know and wow. which is a and it's really fascinating now is evidence-based medicine good yeah absolutely like we should definitely have that but evidence can fall into a, a wide spectrum and we can risk stratify it yeah. and everything but it's it's fascinating actually the genesis of wanting to make that like the gold standard because it it really put um pharmaceutical companies in the driver's seat with what constituted truth. Yeah, I think that I think that evidence-based medicine was sort of like the uh the the newest iteration of of the right answer on the test, right? So if a person comes into your office, right. you can now access Medline or PubMed as it's called, and you can search all day. You can find a million articles about this thing and then you can use that in order to extrapolate from these these uh these randomized and controlled trials or observational studies the best answer to the test presented by your examiner, which is your patient. And if you couple what you just said with the, the sort of um, the underlying paradigm of medical education, which is rewarding you for having the answer presented by an examiner, right? Like you want to get the answer that right. they are expecting you to say. The more correct answers you get, the better schools you get to go to, the better residency, but the better fellowship, the better you know, faculty position at Cornell or whatever else. And uh, if you couple everything you said with this other notion that in like your residency training, I was an OBGYN, so notoriously very, very malicious. And my program, it wasn't necessarily, necessarily malicious, but your training as a primary care doc and a surgeon, an advanced surgeon. I mean, like you're doing a lot of stuff that other people don't do, like in the pelvis and everything else. And so right. when you're asked a question to say, I don't know, or hmm, let me think about that, says that you don't have the answer. 
and therefore you're seen as lesser right. than your colleagues. So you train people to uh, to pretend like you have the answer. And if you don't have the answer, then it must not be my specialty. Go to those other people. But that's not a second opinion. That is saying, right. hey, uh, since it doesn't fit into the algorithm, into this neat little cute box that I have, either I, if I don't have the answer, then I'm a failure. So it's not my problem. Let's punt it to the other service. So it, we're in a, really, in a really, really tr challenging place, I think. And it starts within our medical, medical education program where we just don't have... Uh, there's not a lot of room for being curious and perhaps saying, I don't know, but that's right. a great question. Let me go dig in the library. That's what it used to be. And it's not like that anymore. Right. Not at all. Yeah. So I have, I have concerns around yeah. that. Like I, it's, yeah. uh, we, it's ironic that we, um, I, I forget, I, I had a talk that I used to, to give, it wasn't that long ago, but, um, 2013, I want to say there were 30,000 peer reviewed articles that had the term type two diabetes in it. And, and, uh, I mean, some of them are randomized control. It's a huge spectrum, but I mean, holy shit, like that's a lot of, <laughs> that's a lot of data. It's, yeah. It's more information than one. Yeah. It's a lot of data. And, um, we have more data than we've ever had on any given thing than we've ever had in history, but yet cardiovascular disease rates increase, diabetes right. increase, you know, by and large, like we, we do some drug mitigation, you know, people will say, Oh no, no cardiovascular, you know, heart attacks are down. It's like, yeah, but people aren't living longer because they're yeah. dying from side effects of still not managing the yeah. same stuff. Yeah. You know, we yeah. just kind of, kind of kick the can. But when, like, if we had some explosion information in material science, would our bridges get shittier? Would our buildings mm, fall down more? Mm, mm -hmm. Would they be more expensive to build? No, 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 no. You, you know, and I, but yet with medicine, we we are armed with more information. We have more readily available information than we've ever had in history. Stuff that we can't even believe. But now, because of the you know siloing and and different different mechanistic things, arguably we're kind of doing shittier medicine than maybe we've we've ever done yeah. you know it, it's uh yeah i, I think a, an appropriate metaphor I, I can't remember who told me this recently but they were like they were taking a cross-country road trip and they were passing one exit after the other you know on whatever highway 68 or whatever it is um or route, route 66 or whatever you know and they pass yeah yeah mcdonald's chipotle costco mcdonald's chipotle costco sheets mcdonald's you know and so they made the they made the comparison. They were like, you know, if you look back like 500 years, we were building incredible monoliths, you know, cathedrals, these incredible chapels painted with incredibly, you know, incredible masonry and the mosaic tile work that expands over like a football field. I mean, like these buildings, these conceptions of the human sort of ingenuity were were just fabulous. And now the best we can show to it to like extraterrestrials that come down is Costco. It's, it's like this need to continue to progress towards more and better population management and better whatever has led us to a diluted human experience as a patient and as a physician, where there's really not yeah. much to it anymore. Like you just plop it into the calculator and it spits out the answer. Like that's not what we want our right. best and brightest doing, but, but that's also not what, that's why most of the best and brightest, the most creative or not going into medicine because there's no creativity here. It's practice like this or, you know, you, you lose your pension or whatever, whatever else. And, um, right. I share your concerns, Rob. I, I don't know where we're going in medicine, but it doesn't seem like at least over the past two years, it's going anywhere, um, that I want to be a part of, <laughs> to be frank. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
So you and I met, you know, I met over the, we were, I was mentioning the ancestral health symposium and the, the sort of paleo movement, which, you know, it's not even that old. It's like been 20 years or so that people have really kind of started to think like, wow, could we learn from our ancestors? But I'm going to challenge the paleo movement for a second, not because I don't believe in it or I don't eat that way anymore, but I think that this past two years have really forced me to reconcile the notion and then perhaps even embedded psychopathy within a strictly Darwinian evolutionary lens, which is that we're all out here to maximize our own benefit to hell with the rest, right? And now we're stuck in this crazy place where we, we know that by isolating old people, by isolating children, by me being isolated for more than a few hours, I start to just feel unwell, right? So a big part of this narrative right. with COVID has been stay in your homes, don't touch, don't, don't, cuss, don't kiss, don't hug your neighbors, stay isolated. And it really has drawn me back into the conversation around these different theories of evolution. You know, there's the Darwinian, which says that you know, various uh, species fall off and give way to new species. Well, then Lamarckian would say, well, no, they're actually just slowly changing with time based on the needs. And then there's Neo-Lamarckian, which says, hey, we can actually turn certain genes on and off based on our environment. It's more of the terrain theory. So I kind of want to throw this back to you because you've been thinking about the evolutionary principles and how it pertains to health span for so long. How is your sort of overall motif uh, in seeing things through an evolutionary lens, how has it changed for you over these past two years? And let me give a one little caveat there. What I'm really hoping to get at is, 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 a, is a cooperative evolutionary uh, guiding principle perhaps now a little bit more obvious to us than perhaps the dog-eat-dog -dog world of the strictly Darwinian uh, biology? Yeah, you know, it... it... I think when we really dig into, so I mean, Darwin's like survival of the fittest got, got, uh, twisted into like some of these, uh, you know, like eugenicist type things. Yeah. Like, well, if this group of people is stronger than this group of people, you know, and, um, I think that there's clearly a lot of, of problems with that, but what was missed in that story is I, I think that the, the pendulum swings many ways. So now we have groups of people that are like, biology is all about cooperation. And if we just cooperate, then everything turns out great. And, and that's, that's this like Disney-ified you know, <laughs> yeah, view right, right. of nature. Right. You know, it, 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 it's as ridiculous and, and honestly, maybe even more disconnected from the, the reality of, of evolution and, and the world. I think when we overlay economics and game theoretics and, and things like that. Um, so like within a, a pandemic scenario or even like, like things like racism and, and whatnot, there are game theory models where at a population level, there's benefits to being open to newness, but not too open mm. because there's disease burden. There's, there's disruption to uh, social structures. Social structures can change, but it takes a while for you to do that. If, right. you, if you go from a nuclear family scenario and then you, you say, no, we're neo-Marxists and the state will raise all the children, that's liable to be an absolute disaster. Hmm. You know, and, and we've actually seen examples where that absolutely yeah, of is, course. you know, um, we do have examples historically of children being raised in kind of a group setting, but this is within the context of horticulturalists and hunter gatherers where people know each other across a lifespan for the most part. And it, it still is like an aggregate 
of parenting and known interaction versus like some sort of like state sponsored actor doing this stuff. So, I mean, for, for me, I, I don't see any issues with like the, the Darwinian evolution. It just needs the, the refinement that there are game theory reasons why cheating maybe like, like cheating on your spouse could be beneficial on the one hand, because we get some genes out there. But then it's also like if you get caught, even in the modern world where there's not like a scarlet letter and all that type of stuff, you get divorced, you lose friends, you lose money, your your family maybe hates you. Like there's huge potential consequences to it. And so the person may sit there and they're like, man, that person is really hot and it'd be great to sleep with them. But I don't know that I'm really willing to to take the take the hit yeah, if it, yeah you know whether yeah. i get caught and also just my own moral moral deal with it that's a game theory thing you know and i i think that we could apply this game theory stuff to all kinds of different scenarios and there's a a, a dueling banjos or a, a trade-off between change adaptation versus maintenance of whatever has has been working and i mean i i guess that that's kind of the the stuff that i see on that yeah. You know, when we when I hear people start talking about collaborative stuff, it get, it gets my hackles up a little bit. It makes me think a little bit about, you know, sections of Atlas Shrugged where, you know, we're doing ridiculous stuff for people who, who really don't want help. Like they're just in a spot where maybe the life isn't great, but you could dump infinite resources into trying to help them and they just don't care. They, yeah. they don't want right. They don't want to change their their situation. I think about the Navy SEAL teams that I've worked with, and they're very competitive in that it's very competitive to get into their their communities. But once you're in that community, then the most important currency is trust and and cooperation. Now they'll still bust each other's balls. They'll still, you know, like, oh, I I, I beat you on this thing or whatever. But then they're like, let me, let me show you how I did it so you can get better. Because hmm. if I make you better and you're able to beat me, then maybe you're going to be able to teach me something. Yeah. And that's how commit. So yeah. they're competitive, but it, it hit this other meta thing where like, all I want to do is get better. And for me to get better, the people around me need to get better. So is that competition? Yeah. Is that cooperation? I'll tell you what it is, is one of the most highly functioning groups of people in the world. And it functions at such a high level that when people retire out of that, the rest of their lives look dull and meaningless by comparison because everybody else is running around like a bunch of idiots because there's no trust and there, yeah. there's actually no, there's, there's none of that like iron sharpens iron type of type of thing. So um, I know I'm kind of bouncing around a little bit, but it, it's uh, I think that where things work well is, is, you know, some of these um, kind of traditional values of like personal accountability, but then also recognizing that, I am part of a, a community, both both local and global, and that we there are trade-offs, you know, between the you know push-pull elements of of these things, and and kind of having an an understanding of that, and that there's there's generally no optimum for everybody, but there may be optimums for a situation, and then that situation may may change over time. You know, like we've moved multiple times to areas where the the population has been booming and there's great opportunities with that, but there's also huge costs that oftentimes come mm. to an area with an influx of people with very different culture, 
um, just the resource, you know, costs and whatnot. So you have to figure out how to, how to manage that. I've also been in places where the towns are dying and whatever the challenges are with a place that's growing, they're way better than the challenges of a, of a town that is dying. Yeah. You know, that everybody is leaving, people aren't having kids and you're, you know, the people who can't get out like that is definitely not a good scene. So yeah. again, I know I bounced around a bunch of, bunch of different stuff there, but um, I think that Darwinian evolution is kind of where the rubber hits the road, but we need to overlay a lot of game theoretic, you know, economic type stuff to really get down to some, some deeper nuance to that whole story. And um, yeah, yeah. It, it, and uh I had one other thought, but it just, it's fleeting. So maybe it will come back to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that's great. It's, it, it's an open-ended question with a whole, it's meant to elicit a, a bit of a variety of responses. I think that one thing that's, that I'm really thoughtful about right now, and this kind of even gets into some of your, you know, your explorations into permaculture and whatnot, is that when you, when you grow a garden, right, you can grow a monocrop, so you can grow a French garden and just have your petunias here and your higher grasses back there, and it looks pretty, but how is this actually, how are these plants cooperating with one another? And you might say, oh, well, these plants are very hardy. Well, hardy, hardy compared to what? Um, it really kind of evokes, for me, what has been evoked over these past couple of years has been that we see human beings as the highest level of achievement within the evolutionary game. And as such, everything else may be coming out to take our spot. So people talk about viruses, for example, as these things that are out to get us. You can see it that way. That's fine. But they're actually not, they don't even belong in, our, in, in any of our kingdom, they, kingdoms. They are these little strips of nucleic acid wrapped up in a protein with some various, I'm sorry, uh, an envelope with various proteins sticking out. And they're just being viruses. What I've really started to have to bring into my conversations with patients is that these bugs, these candida, these viruses and whatnot are not necessarily out to get you. Your body is having a hard time learning from whatever information is being brought in uh, from the outside, whether it's for, through viruses or there's an imbalance in your gut biome. Um, we shouldn't have to worry so much about viral illness, but the population itself is not, the, the soil, so to speak, is not healthy enough, and, and, and healthy enough in order for them to integrate this new technology, whatever that, whatever that might be, in order to enhance your immune system, right? And so I think that our perhaps over-reliance on a very strict definition of Darwinian biology has also permitted us to separate ourselves from the biosphere. In order to say, like you said, if we can control all of those variables out there, then me being siloed here in my four walls with my roof, I'll be okay. But it's not that simple because we are like a living biosphere, a walking biosphere that people, they tend to forget that, you know, and I was kind of hopeful that we were going to be shifting away from that before the pandemic. And then as soon as the pandemic happened, I saw more Purell being passed around than ever before, despite right. there being perhaps some benefit to having some bugs even if that one stinking virus is out to get you, what about all the other good critters, you know? So there's this right. kind of cooperative sense that I, I remember even, uh, I was talking to, I think it was Paul Stamets I was speaking to, and he had made the comparison to, you know, he was trying to illustrate how do mycelial networks connect this biosphere, right? So if, if on one side of an 800 you know, acre forest or 800 mile wide forest, let's say, has a beetle infestation or something, somehow the trees on the other side figure out how to produce defenses against that. That's not necessarily a survival of the fittest. That's like, oh my God, thanks, bro. I'm going to start building this type of bark now that's going to make me a little bit less right. 
you know, less permeable to the to the Beatles or whatever. That's kind of what I was thinking there. But anything you want to comment on that? No, I, I, it, it's uh, again. I think when you when we take a step back and if you look at genes as the the thing that's trying to survive. So if you've got a population that shares different genetics, it doesn't really matter if any one individual goes forward. What matters is it kind of the species and also that gene, that information goes Right, forward. exactly, so exactly. There's yeah. a way of recognizing that, you, you know, so it shifts a, a, a little bit away from just kind of the the individual level. I, I will throw out kind of a, I, I went down this rabbit hole and then um, I'm not an immunologist. And so I, I kind of, I hit some, some rough waters, but I think part of the problem that we see with um, viruses and, and vaccinations is, you know, some of these things like original antigenic sin mm -hmm. and antibody dependent enhancement and whatnot. Original antigenic sin and ADE is great in the context of mainly being infected with parasites. Mm -hmm. You want a very consistent immune response because that that parasite isn't changing. It's not evolving in our system. You know, right. even things like Lyme disease don't, you know, do do any type of particularly rapid evolution. And certainly things like, uh, you know, roundworms, tapeworms and stuff like that. You want a very targeted uh, uh T cell response and also B cell response, like the, the antibodies and also the, the the other immune response. Most of our evolutionary history, I think that viral exposure has been very very low, like mm. viral pathogenic <laughs> exposure. I think that's just been some background mosaic, but by and large, like we you know humans were kind of small, not super high population density, certainly not like bats. Like bats live in these huge populations. And so, you know, coronaviruses are, are you know, rather ubiquitous there. And then even uh, things like influenza weren't really a big deal until humans, pigs, and avian, you know, birds all started living in close proximity. And we have a heck of a time dealing with viruses. And, and you know, in some of the consequences again of our, our therapeutics around viruses, the antibody dependent enhancement, and also original antigenic sin. I think that's because it is a holdover from an evolutionary situation where our main problem of concern was sepsis and, and, uh, parasitic pathogens yeah, and not, right. uh, you know, uh, infectious viral particles. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people are using harmonizing technologies like biogeometry pendants, conscious technologies, LLCs, harmonizing stickers, etc. And these are powerful tools, but they're harmonizing the sea of 5G and all the radiation thereof without blocking some of the powerful signals that you've got right next to your head. So those earbuds you're listening to right now, the cell phone that's in your pocket right next to your gonads. We need to be considerate of the low-dose radiation you're exposing yourself to and those delicate organs, namely your brain and your gonads, as a result of having these powerful modems right next to them. So fortunately, waveblock.com makes stickers for your earbuds and for the back of your cell phone. They block 70% of all that radiation that's coming off of your devices, and that's better than any other product on the market from an EMF blocking standpoint. And the owner, Ben Salem, has all the lab reports to back that up. So go to waveblock.com. Enter code BELOVED25 and you will save a whopping 25% on your purchase. Please support Waveblock. They're doing great work. I would love to continue to see them thrive. And this is something you need. 
So go get it. Waveblock.com. Enter code BELOVED. Save 25% off your purchase. I can't recommend it enough. Let's get back to my conversation now with Rob Wolf. Yeah, right on. I mean, these are the big conversations that I, I just wish we would all be having. I mean, this is like where it's at for me. Like, I don't have a right answer. I, I appreciate your right. willingness to just think outside the box. I, I wish there were more people that were, and there are people, but it's not like in your professional life over grand rounds or whatever, people are having these conversations, which is one of my great, right. my great frustrations. <laughs> let's, right. let's, uh, let's, shift, uh, let's shift topic here a little bit. Something a little fun for me. Uh, I've been thinking about this for a long time. So you, your your famous book was The Paleo Solution. That was the first book you wrote, correct? And yep. you've had a couple books since yep. then, one with Diana Rogers. And um, I've been wondering if you could do a sequel to The Paleo Solution and we could theme it around maternity care or birth. We can call it like paleo birth or primal birth. Mm. What would some of the topics, the main themes there be for you as to how we can better care for women um, in the maternity space? A couple of things. Uh, one is that your body comes really well prepared to to have babies. Like there's a <laughs> lot of good engineering, you know, good good hardware, good software, you know, that that goes into this um, as as a baseline. And I think that sometimes that is mentioned, you know, trust trust in the process and everything. But I think something that is super missed. We had two home births; they went well. The the first you know, with Zoe, our, our oldest, it, it went great. It's very peaceful and quiet. Uh, the, the midwife wrapped up their stuff and they left. And then Nikki and I are looking at each other like, what the fuck do we do now? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had read some books, we had done this, you know, and, and like, I, I think that, uh, you know, Zoe had like her first mercomium, you know, shit it, it, within a couple of minutes after that. Yeah. And I'm like fumbling around, took me a good over you. eight minutes to change the first diaper and didn't get on me, but it was just like, it was crazy. It's crazy that by the end of that process, you could be unconscious and change a diaper like one handed. <laughs> and then the first one you do, uh, and yeah, um, that's right. Middle of the night, you are pretty much unconscious whenever you're changing those early diapers. Like, yeah. 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 And I remember calling my mom, my mom was still alive then. And my mom had, Four, four kids total. And I was like, Hey, when you had all the kids, uh, did, did like grandma come and stay with you? And she's like, Oh yeah. Grandma stayed with me for three months. Oh my and gosh. Each of your yeah. aunt stayed with me for a month each. And like each of these people had had like four or five kids each. So my mom at some point had it, it in the house in addition to, you know, her with her first kid, clearly that was new, but then second kid there, you know, get more experience but she had like a hundred years of child rearing in the house. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that we so underappreciate. And I, I think circling back to, to kind of like the, the meaningfulness of, in the, the, the way that we've structured our, our societies, we move away from our parents and grandparents. And sometimes yeah. that that's yeah. great because maybe there aren't great, you know, economic opportunities where we live, but the cost there is that, you know, I remember Nikki had problems with latching and we had a lactation consultant, but they didn't really see eye to eye. And so Nikki ended up pumping. And then with the the second with Sagan, we started off with some latching problems. But Nikki's sister, who had had two kids, showed up and she was just basically like, listen, it's going to be uncomfortable for some period of time. You just got to suck it up and go through it. And because her sisters and they're competitive, you know, her sister was basically like, 
grow a grow a pair and deal with it. Yeah. And Nikki yeah. was like, fuck you. And then and then she did it and she got and she got through it and everything was good. But it was um so your body is super has a ton of wisdom, you know, like trust in your body. And then also if you can draw on the wisdom of your elders or your predecessors or or cobble that together, like we also had an adoptive grandmother, uh, this woman from El Salvador, who basically, you know, she's part of our our family now, but uh, uh, she is the grandmother for our kids because both of both my mom and and Nikki's mom have have died, and like the shit that that woman knows, the fact that she was raised. In El Salvador, she was a grade school teacher there. She escaped out of El Salvador during their civil war, made it to the United States, has has built a life for herself here. Like she is such a tough woman and such an awesome woman and so powerful as a mentor for parenting. Mm. Like I asked her questions all the time, all the time. I didn't always agree with everything she'd say, but I would at least think about it. I'm like, huh, well, that's really interesting. And it, but I, I gotta tell you that uh, more often than not, you know, my first like rejection of something she might say, I would then like, you know, circle back. I'm like, Oh, okay, maybe that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And, and so I think really trying to figure out how to, um, put together that, that tribal network, yeah. you know, if your parents are still alive and hopefully you get along with them and hopefully the parents actually have a parenting instinct. Sometimes you have like a mom or a dad that they, you know, they, they shouldn't have maybe been parents themselves. They, <laughs> they don't know how to deal with grandkids, but you know, if you can find somebody who's really wired into that stuff, I think it's good. Those are two biggies that I think are, are maybe different. You know, we could talk about food and exercise and all that, like being healthy is good. Eating well clearly is good. You know, I, I do, I do think that um, women don't need to, tackle childbirth as, as if it was an Olympic event. But I do find it kind of interesting that people would never consider running a marathon without doing some training and maybe yeah. changing their diet. Like they would never think of it, you know, it's just yeah. like, yeah. of course that's going to fail. But there are a lot of people that are just kind of like, Oh, my body will take care of itself. Yeah. Okay. It, it will. But if you are not in remotely decent shape and if you've been eating poorly and your blood pressure is high, you're preeclamptic and on and on and on. You're not setting yourself or your child up for, for success. So, yeah, you know, I yeah. think that there's some things, but as, as you know, bullet points, I think the, uh, do trust in your body, but then take care of your body might be the, mm -hmm. you know, the two mm -hmm. things there. And then the other thing is, um, you know, tap into some, some tribal wisdom around parenting and, and around the, the birthing experience, especially with the first kid, you know, maybe the first two and each kid is very different, but, but there was an analysis done where uh, they, they looked at the amount of work necessary to take care of newborn twins. So there's 168 hours in a week total. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. That, you know, from, from Sunday to Sunday, that's how many hours there are. And it's something like 172 hours of care for newborn twins. If, you, if you're really going to like take care of this. So wow. there's, there's more care necessary than there is time in a week. So like, a single mom at home with two kids, it's like, Jesus Christ, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. this is where, you know, I'm, I'm pretty libertarian, but like, like a social support level, you know, the single mom, one, I would ask some questions. Why do we have a bunch of single moms and what can we do to, to yeah. maybe address that? Like, let's actually get in <laughs> and start fixing that. But then above and beyond that, while we're trying to take care of these bigger societal issues, like, what can we do to help that mom so that she 
eats better and isn't super stressed. And that's not negatively impacting the the kids because um, even non-single parenting is, is hard. So I, I think really thinking about the resource allocation that we put into, you know, like that, that first couple of years of, of kid rearing and the Scandinavian countries are, are yeah. interesting models of that, but they are also very culturally homogenized, mm-hmm. they're a relatively small population. They're relatively wealthy. When I was in Denmark, they, they, when you have a, a parking meter, the parking meter is a sign that says parking 20 minutes. And inside your car, you have a little meter where you set what time it is you no parked. Kidding. And then when the meter maid comes around, they look and they're like, oh, you've been parked here too long. Because everybody follows the rules. And they have a set of rules that everybody follows. And, and all this will this may be something you cut out or whatever you want to do. But as some of these Scandinavian countries were accused of like xenophobia, which maybe that's true, maybe it's not. And they opened up their their culture and brought in a lot of people. These people don't follow the rules in the same way. Yeah. yeah. And now they're finding they're like, well, we need to do things like actual parking meters, like what we do in the States, because not everybody has the same value system. And so we have to have some punitive ways of managing this from outside because people don't manage it internally because of their culture. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so how do you, how do you scale that across something like the United States? Um, All these Scandinavian countries we have in the United States, there are 12 cities that have populations as large or larger than these Scandinavian countries or New Zealand. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you hit on a lot. I, I, I personally think if we're going to change the world, then we need to actually look at birth. And if we can't get birth and the support of birthing women correct, then everything else is out the window. You know what I mean? But you highlighted a bunch of interesting, uh, very important points. And I'm not cutting anything out because this is important conversation. It has nothing to do with like border control or whatever. It's the the sheer fact that we are living 700 miles from our, you know, our mothers and fathers or our grandparents or whatever else, because the, you know, economics of how our country work, they, they took me out to, let's say, California. When I was in California doing my training, I was like 1,500 miles away from mom. So fortunately, we didn't have kids. But had we not had that support, I don't know how we would have made that happen, you know? And so, you know, right. unless your very, very fundamental needs are met, only then can we start moving on to the the fine tuning of the nutrient imbalances and, you know, what type of, uh, you know, what, how deep should I squat whenever I'm at my CrossFit gym while pregnant? I mean, like, those are all really important things I talk to my patients about. But I I also think that from a, you know, I'm using air quotes on my, on a primal standpoint, we also have completely uh, industrialized the process of giving birth because there's so many other variables that we don't seem to be able to, to answer to, you know? So we say it's the one size fits all. You come into the hospital, we get your labor going, we pop your water bag, we give you an epidural, we put you on your back, we force your knees to your shoulders and we t- everybody yells at you to push a baby out. The baby gets wrapped up, gets a bunch of needles stuck in it, gets goop on its eyes and then gets placed on your chest. And that was a job well done versus my experience like yours was having a baby at home and it was like whoa like this is a powerful experience and and uh and and it's more than just a physiologic process but if we didn't have the resources to do that into into to meet the demands of having a baby at home it you know like meaning i'm the full-time breadwinner my wife is an incredible stay-at-home mom and does everything else in the household if we didn't have the resources to do that um 
I'm not so sure that that conversation, it would, it would go in one ear and out the other for, for maybe right. half or more of our populations. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a fun thing to think about. And, and I do think we could go deeper into diet and movement and everything, but I talk so much about that stuff. I really, I really appreciate your insight. Maybe that book needs to be written, probably not by me, but somebody's going to have to write that book and maybe I'll write the foreword or something. <laughs> it's something I think about on a daily basis. So, all right, Rob, we're in the interest of time. I want to go to our, my final question for you. You, you are, you got jacked and you're, you're, you're experimenting with all forms of ketogenesis and, um, you're doing a lot of jujitsu. You're obviously taking good care of yourself. I've seen your photos online. I, I maybe in the past I would have said, ah, I could take that guy, but there's, there's no way now. Um, especially since I'm early on in parenting, I'm still, uh, I'm still trying to maintain as opposed to build. <laughs> Sleep deprived deal. Yeah. 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 My yeah. adrenals are little raisins compared to your like plum sized adrenals. So, <laughs> so my, my final question for you is I get a ton of questions from clients and patients alike about the ketogenic diets and, uh, fasting and, uh, you know, using medications and, you know, AMP and, and whatever to, to elicit this kind of fasting response to maximize ketones. I don't know if you remember this, but you and I, I had, we'd been passing back a, uh, like a, like a paper, like a, 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 I don't know, an editorial on longevity, right? And the female yep. reproductive system is an, inc- an, in- an extremely, curious part of the conversation around longevity, because at some point, as you know, as everybody should know, the, a woman's ovaries stop producing eggs, right? That's what we call menopause. And as a result of not having eggs, you don't get all of the hormones related to egg production. And you end up in a place where you're not, not only not menstruating, but now with a lack of estrogen and progesterone puts you at high, higher cardiovascular risk, et cetera. So it's almost like the body, in order to eke out more years of life, shuts down one of its most energy expensive systems, right? From an endocrine standpoint, your mm-hmm. reproductive system. So for women who, who want to try to do this, I, they have to be, in my experience, I've had to be very, very cautious with how to recommend this because of the implications for, let's say, a premenopausal woman. If they go strictly ketogenic and they're staying in ketosis for several months, stuff starts going haywire. I've seen it, my, I've seen it happen myself. So could you, in your vast knowledge of this, which is probably way more than me, Explain how you work with women. How do you counsel them if they're like, Rob, I, I heard you on a podcast and I want to start doing ketogenesis. I'll pay you a million bucks to get me going. What do you tell them? First off, that's a, that's a hef- hefty payday for you. So <laughs> that, is a good, that is a good payday. I do have a steep uh, uh, consulting fee, but it is not that. Um, five or six years ago, I would have been more. So one thing ketosis is not the right whistle stop for everybody for all things, you know, for without a doubt. And ketosis can mean really different things depending on what person we're talking about. You could have American Council of Sports Medicine guidelines recommend that someone like a CrossFit athlete should be eating 600 to 800 grams of carbs a day. Taking that person to 200 grams of carbs a day, they may still be in ketosis, but they're actually in this kind of middle ground where they can do glycolytic activity, but they're still burning ketones Mm -hmm. because they're Mm -hmm. activity level, but they're, they're, they're eating an order of magnitude more carbs than, you know, the death bound computer programmer as as they probably should be if, if kind of ketosis is the goal. So there's a bunch of nuance in that. And what's interesting is women are the group that I've seen both succeed the best. Like I've seen world champion Brazilian jiu-jitsu players who are keto. I've seen women who are at the top of the the food chain in CrossFit games. I uh, 
a 2000 meter rower, which is a very glycolytic, you mm-hmm. know, activity, mm-hmm. you know, six, six minute type, type deal. So really, really wow, a, a glycolytic yeah. hell. And well, I mean, you know, that's approximately in the, in the ballpark of where, where, where yeah. she is, you know, six, 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 ten something, but that is a tall and ass, particularly for a, a little gal. But I've also seen the wheels fall off the wagon on women, you know, catastrophically hair falling out, amenorrhea, yeah, just, yeah, just big yeah. ass. And you're going to know this better than I will, but women have carry such a greater burden in the reproductive stakes that their nutrient sensing is very tightly tuned. Like if they're not in a, a, a in abundance situation, and that's true whether it's like their food or their social situation, their significant other. Like if there's a stressful situation going on, that is going to send a signal not the time to have a baby doesn't always work, but, but you yeah. know, it, 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 you know, that can definitely be the, the response. And so I think when people overly calorie restrict, then women tend to, to flag that quicker. And, and, you know, it's a little bit more obvious inadequate protein, which is endemic in the, the key. It's as bad in the ketogenic space as it is in the vegan space, because yeah. everybody is terrified of like mTOR and IGF. And they think that, you know, eating, 30 grams of protein a day is going to guarantee that they don't get cancer. And I, I did a talk and it, it might be something you share with folks. It's called longevity. Are we trying too hard? And I really take a very super contrarian approach. Like I, all these folks like David Sinclair and Mark Matson, like they're brilliant people, but I think they're missing the boat on this stuff. Yeah, like I, yeah. I think like eat more protein, lift weights, be jacked going into, you know, older age uh, is kind of the the way to go. And then sodium. And electrolytes, I think that electrolyte uh, insufficiency is this massive problem within low-carb diets. And there's the naturesis of fasting. When we have a low insulin environment, we tend to downregulate aldosterone. When we have low aldosterone, we don't retain sodium. Then we start dumping both uh, sodium and potassium. And it's this gnarly downward spiral. And so if you're low carb, you need way more sodium and electrolytes than what you did otherwise. I think folks really benefit from much more protein. And if body composition is a goal, we need a a calorie, you know, reduction or or gap, but it needs to be modest. And we need like a a long time horizon on it and and not going crazy. And then above and beyond that, I mean, there there will be people for whom a ketogenic diet doesn't really work. if we, if we get that person a gram of protein per pound of lean body mass or up to a gram of protein per pound of body weight, maybe a 5 to 8% calorie deficit, and we can play with, with all that type of stuff. And then we make sure that they're getting at least 5 grams of sodium per day and maybe double that depending on their, their work activity. I don't think we're going to see the same type of, of problems. And, and uh, I, I think that 90% of the problems will go away. The remaining 10% may just require a little bit of tweaking, or maybe they need 50 grams of carbs a day. Maybe they need 75 grams of carbs yeah. a day to, yeah. to address the, the final gap. Yeah. Yeah. I first heard about Organify through my friend Paul Check, who you're probably not a stranger to. He has this giant holistic lifestyle coaching practice where he teaches coaches to do the work, the the deep work required for a person to change their habits and lifestyle in order to optimize their health. And I was at his house and we were lifting stones. He calls them his stone Buddhas. You stack them up. They're like hundreds of pounds big. They're massive. They're awkward. You stack them up. You create these giant cairns 
and it takes a lot out of you. So he went back inside, he gave me a glass of water, and he handed me a little packet of Organifi's red juice. This stuff lights you up. I was so depleted, and then I took this, this powder, mixed it in with my water, and I immediately felt better. And the reason is it's loaded with adaptogens. It contains reishi, cordyceps, radiola, Siberian ginseng, all adaptogenic uh, compounds, which means that it helps to rebalance your endocrine system. It also contains red beets, which, which contains some sugar, but these are from a natural source. They boost your energy up. They help replenish your, your glycogen stores after hard workouts. And then from a recovery standpoint, it's loaded with antioxidants, antioxidant-rich berries they include. It's delicious as a result of the, uh, of the berries they use. And I initially was just using it after workouts. And then I realized, oh my God, I feel better drinking this every day. So I rotate between the red, the green, and they're yellow, and I am in tip-top shape right now. I just feel so much better. So you can make Organifi's products a part of your life if you go to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash beloved, or enter code beloved at checkout, and you'll save 20% off of your entire purchase. This is a product that is so near and dear to me, and I'm so grateful to have them on as a sponsor. So go to Organifi.com, enter code BELOVED, save 20% off, and get yourself some red juice. Let's back to my conversation now with Rob Wolf. I love everything you said. I mean, it, first and foremost, even when we were talking about longevity and and you know, just sharing some ideas. And I don't even, I probably have that paper somewhere. It was like 20 pages by the time I was done with it. And you, you made some nice contributions, but it, it was more of like a thought experiment, right? It, it's when people talk yep. about living longer, it's like, well, for what purpose? Like I could keep you alive on all sorts of machines. Is that what you want? <laughs> or, or do we want right. to, do we, do we want you to be living and moving as well as you can right now for as long as possible, you know, or are you a CrossFit competitor or are you a competitive gymnast or a track and field athlete versus a cross-country skier. I mean, there's just so many different arrangements, right, as to what what is the terrain that you're trying to perform in. And, and I think that's really good advice. Uh, I do, what I what I am seeing is most people are, are, they're going into ketosis. And this is actually a mistake I made. I was in residency on night float, meaning I wasn't sleeping during the night. I was sleeping for five hours during the day and awake all night for six weeks on end. It was just a terrible part of training. We had to do that four times. And about halfway through residency, I was still waking up an extra hour early and like ripping out a 30 minute, very high intensity exercise to keep the shoulders and the abs, right? Oh. He heaven forbid, I, I lose my, uh, my vanity. And then eating the crappy hospital food and everything else. But what I was doing in the hospital was like, I'm going to try ketosis. And I started eating all fat products. And I felt okay. Six weeks later, I found myself in like severe adrenal fatigue. But that's a different story. Yep. Somebody brought in a piece of pizza, though, and I had a bite of it. And I immediately went to the bathroom and heaved up everything. It was like, whoa, like that was like, like putting gasoline on the fire. And suddenly my metabolism came to life and, and I just spewed it out everywhere. So I've experimented, of course, with this a lot myself, but it always comes, it has to come down to like, what was my goal in doing that? You know, I'm not sleeping well, right. I'm not eating well. Is ketosis going to, to save my life? Is it going to make me even healthier than, than, than I would otherwise be? No, of, of course not. And so when women, anybody out there who's listening, if, if you're a female and you're considering a diet that's going to ramp up your, your endogenous ketones, 
you have to be very, very careful with with goal setting. I, I think that's a really important part. And if you're trying to get, do you have any comments on this, Rob? If a person is trying to get pregnant, is ketosis still something they can experiment with? Or would you consider them, you know, maybe cycling their fasting states throughout their cycle? Or can you, can you offer any advice in there? Here's an interesting observation. What's the number one thing that is recommended for infertility, like pharmaceutically? Uh, well, if it's for, uh, for ovulation induction, yeah. Yeah, metformin or letrozole. Yeah, yeah, yeah metformin. Yeah, and and that's all addressing metabolic issues, you know, meta, basically metabolic syndrome. So I do think that there's a strong case to be made for carbohydrate restriction for a lot of people. Just a ton of people have metabolic syndrome. And I don't know if you've had Lily Nichols on. She's a, a brilliant uh, registered dietitian who, what's the name of her books? Real Food for Gestational oh, Diabetes. I have Real heard about her. Pregnancy. Yeah, maybe you can put yeah, me in touch with her she's if brilliant. you know her. Yeah. I, I would look wonderful person. Yeah. Really brilliant. Man, she she has fought the good fucking fight. Like she <laughs> really has. Cause yeah. she'll she will have folks that are are preeclamptic and and uh you know their A1Cs are looking bad and then they go low carb and then they want to put them on a they want to do a oral glucose tolerance test and she's like, no. We will go off of the blood, you know, the A1C and also a fasting blood glucose. This a, this uh, oral glucose tolerance test isn't going to tell us anything. And I mean, yeah. she'll go toe to toe with the the physicians on this and, yeah. and has fought the good fight and, and uh, has helped a lot of people get pregnant. So I think that ketosis can be just fine, you know, within a, a pregnancy scenario. But also people have gotten so enamored with ketosis that they've forgotten this whole spectrum of just kind of lower carb. Yeah, you know, like I yeah, think the sure. average American eats three or 400 grams of carbs a day. How about 75 grams of carbs, mainly from minimally processed food? Like, like, yeah, like, right, right, right. Or I mean, how about we just go 350? Like, let's start there. And instead of going flat out, we're going to cut out all carbs. Yeah, I, I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think things like ketosis can be a valuable tool. Like if you have somebody who really is kind of like leptin resistant and their, mm -hmm. their, um, fasting blood glucose is, is, um, consistently elevated and you want to have a healthy pregnancy and you don't want the baby to be overly large because of these, these, you know, constantly elevated blood sugar levels and everything. Then I think something like ketosis in that context, adequate yeah. protein, adequate electrolytes, then it could be a really smart move, you know, and, and, uh, uh, but I understand like the, the concern around like maybe modifying some of the androgens, like the, you know, estrogen progesterone balance and stuff like that. But again, I, I really think that as long as we're not tackling that with a, a an aggressive calorie restriction, protein is on point, electrolytes, specifically sodium are on point. I think that it's much more the therapeutic potential versus risk profile changes a lot. Like it really changes a lot. Like it, it, it's almost like taking a drug that normally has a, a fairly narrow um, therapeutic window before it becomes toxic and like double, triples, quintuples yeah. the, the therapeutic dose, you know, like you've got way more latitude with where you could go with it before it becomes toxic. Yeah. 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 I mean, you, you, you kind of, uh, you, you kind of caught me in the back door there because I wasn't actually even thinking about PCOS, but you, you painted the picture of somebody who has this, this sort of sequela, the, the, the sort of syndrome, so to speak of multiple 
ovarian follicles, which is telling me they're not ovulating. They're just producing these little micro follicles that are not going anywhere. But then it's compounded with a hyperangiogenic state along with mm-hmm. uh, amenorrhea. So they're not ovulating. They're not having periods. And there's generally, not always, but there's generally some underlying metabolic issue, increased waist circumference, high blood pressure, uh, you know, some degree of insulin resistance. And you're absolutely right if that the issue around your fertility is related to this combination of things, which is a metabolic issue, then absolutely um, experimenting with ketosis would be a great way of resetting that, starting to, to resensitize yourself to nutrients and, and uh, letting the, the rest of the magic happen. And, and I would reframe it like my, my good friend, Bill Cromwell, who's a brilliant lipidologist, he, he, he uh, reframes it as carbohydrate capping. So mm. he doesn't even say how much. It's just like, we're going to figure out where the optimum is for carbohydrates for you, which also kind of de-escalates things. Yeah, because if yeah. you're talking to other healthcare providers, it's like, well, it's not necessarily ketosis. We're just going to find where metabolically they do best with this caloric load and carbohydrate load. And people are like, and we're going to get the bulk of the carbohydrates from minimally processed whole foods. And all of a sudden, all the like the stress and like the, (laughs) you know, everybody getting their back up and everything's like, Oh, okay. That's very reasonable. And for some people that may be green beans, broccoli, asparagus, protein, fats done, you know, like they may be, it it may be a legit ketogenic diet for other people. It's, you know, maybe they can get a little bit of fruit, a little bit of yam, a little bit of sweet potato and, 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 uh, you know, and that is where maybe a CGM, certainly an A1C, but maybe a CGM may be doing a little bit of, uh, just carbohydrate testing yeah. around like, okay, like I have the seven day carb test in my second book to kind of see how people do with different carbohydrates, a little bit of exploration there so that we keep people cause God damn, man, w- women do really well with normalized blood glucose levels. Yeah. Like yeah. they really, really do well. Those highs and lows cause problems for the baby, cause problems yeah. for the mom. Right. So it, it really behooves us to, and it's hard work sometimes. And it, it it's a, a controversial because that's not, well, we're being kind of interventionist, but we're being interventionist on the dietary side. But the, the yeah. good blood sugar levels are super beneficial for both mom and baby. And the literature is crystal clear on that stuff, you know? Yeah. We are, uh, we've been shaming women for drinking wine and having orgasms and whatever else, but the most toxic thing to pregnancy is not even pharmaceuticals. It's sugar. The, the, right, the, we we right. used to make a really sick joke, but we were like, oh man, this lady's here for her first prenatal visit. She had a miscarriage and her hemoglobin A1C is like 13. And one of my co-residents made the joke like, man, that little kid's like, that little embryo is like a Sour Patch Kid in there. Like it's just covered in sugar. And that just doesn't allow the organs to develop appropriately. It's a, it's a, it's an actual teratogen is having super high uh, yeah. blood sugars. Now we can't put all of that blame onto to to the pregnant women because, like you said, there's all these other societal factors that play into this idea of lifestyle change. Having said that, if we are going to intervene, this is something that needs to be at the forefront. If you're having miscarriages, if you're having issues with fertility, if you're having gosh, endometriosis and everything else, we have got to get your blood sugars under control. And most people think they're doing okay until they tally up the number of carbs they're having in their, you know, and they're in their 500, 600 gram per day range, which is a lot of carbohydrate, but it's pretty standard across the, uh, the general population. Yep. So, well, Rob, thank you so much. I, I want to close off, uh, giving you a few, op- you know, a few minutes to talk a little bit about elements because you sent me 
a little care package your company did, and I've been really digging yeah. it. And now that you've mentioned the importance of 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 uh, replenishing um, sodium, potassium, and is it magnesium that's also in your element? Yep. Yeah. So yep. replacing these electrolytes um, in your diets is is critical, especially if you're exercising hard. So tell me a little bit about elements and um, maybe some other ways that people can find you. Yeah. I, I mean, Element is a, an electrolyte product. We spun up three years ago and we really didn't think we were going to do this. It, it was, uh, I had been flailing around suffering some of those, those problems that you raised with regards to a low carb diet, but like because of gut and autoimmune issues, low carb is kind of the way I need to eat to deal with that. But then my physical activity, jujitsu, CrossFit type stuff, like it, the two were just really hard to match up. Yeah. But, but I discovered is if my, if my electrolytes are better addressed, specifically sodium, I get a lot of that kind of anaerobic engine back. Like it, it, I, I've got that lower gear. My performance is much better. So when I figured that out, and this was in working with these two very smart guys, Tyler Cartwright and Luis Villasenor, they are the founders of a, a program called Keto Gains, and they just work with thousands and thousands of people which is like clinic. I don't know that anybody in the world works with yeah. people with like low carbohydrate diets and these guys do. It's, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. So when I figured out this need, I, I was like, Hey guys, why don't we put together like a guide that tells people how to make their own electrolyte mix. And, and Tyler and Luis had had something like that. So we called it keto aid and it's basically, you know, this much table salt, this much no salt, like potassium chloride, some magnesium citrate, lemon juice, stevia, water, shake it up, drink it. And people loved it. And within six months of releasing this thing just for free, we had like a half million downloads of it. Wow. Just going crazy. Yeah. But then they started tagging us on social media posts like, hey, this this keto weight is great. But when I travel, the three bags of white powder are a problem for TSA, <laughs> you know, and and so um, could you guys maybe do a convenience thing and like, yeah, we could look into it. And so we, we launched at the very beginning of 2019 and I, I, you know, we're very lucky, but, uh, elements, one of the fastest growing health and wellness companies in the world right now. Like it's just growing wow. like crazy because I think we really identified a legitimate need. The product tastes really good. There's no magic in it other than it's convenient and it tastes great. Like yeah. that, that's yeah. it. And we still have the um, the make it yourself homebrew. Like if you go to drinkelementlmnt.com forward slash homebrew, you can make your own there. And it, we also talk about the need for adequate sodium from the diet. And we recommend things like olives and pickles and pickle juice and the homebrew and all that stuff. So, I mean, the, the element isn't the only way to do it, but it, it, um, it's convenient. And a number of the flavors make amazing, uh, uh, mixed drink bases. Like our, our citrus salt makes the most amazing oh, no margarita kidding. base you can imagine. Like it is just phenomenal. Yeah. So, yeah. Amazing. All right. Great. So, uh, it's a drink LMNT, LMNT. I'm saying Dr. four letters. L. Larry, Mike, Nathan, Turtle, <laughs> dot com. Tango, um, yeah. Yeah, yep. Tango, got it. Okay, my wife's a pilot. I should definitely know better. Uh, okay, right. and what, what are, <laughs> she's going to shoot me for that one. Rob, how else can, other, how else can people find you? Uh, anything else you want to you know, uh, announce that you're working on? Nope. Uh, uh, if people are interested in regenerative ag thing, uh, uh, Diana maintains the um, 
sacredcow.info website. And uh, that's amazing. Like if you have any interest in that or like you're seeing news stories, you know, cows consume all of this water and they waste all this land and they're, they're disproportionately negatively impactful to the environment. Maybe that's true. Or maybe there's a deeper, yeah, a, a deeper, more nuanced story to it. And I would yeah. just it, it, encourage people to maybe not take the elevator pitch news headline at face value and and perhaps look deeper into it. But, and then also robwolf.com. That's where you can find all my, all my other stuff. Yeah. And you have a podcast. We're going to link everything in the show notes. I, I, you know, what you said about the news coverage, I feel like everybody like just take one month and stop reading news headlines and your life is going to get way better. Right. Grab a nice book, <laughs> you know, go to the YMCA with your kids and exercise and then spend 20 minutes just reading a book instead of flipping through your phone, catching up on, on headlines. Cause sometimes that, you know, I um I have abandoned social media in that so I have a Substack now. I post some stuff on Substack and then that Substack I will push out to different things, but I do not go on social media. Yeah. And yeah. my life is immeasurably better. Like yeah. I can't even and it's, I I I've been largely off for the better part of 2 years and each even now like occasionally there'll be a, a couple of accounts like there's some training accounts, you know, like there's this guy knees over toes. Oh, I love that. I University love that I, I yeah. really do. Yeah. yeah. I, I really do like their stuff, but it's like running the gauntlet to get to them. It's just like, I don't want to see any of this other stuff. I hope that all those people spin up a sub stack at some point so I can just like subscribe to their sub stack and, and yeah. you know, like turn my, my Instagram account off. Yeah. 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 You know, people are getting information. I, I'm working with a guy who's a friend of mine. He's also a filmmaker. And he said that, you know, he's up to date with the market research and in, in, in creating uh, like, you know, reels, not reels, uh, you know, like a promo video or something for sure. some special sure. thing, whatever you call that. There's probably some special name for it. But he said that the market research shows that attention span used to be seven seconds or something. This was like 10, 15 years ago, probably when I was, you know, like in college. And, um, and now it's like three to four seconds is our attention span. So, wow. you know, that shows why some people I think are, are struggling with information. Like, like you said before, we've got so much information, but it's like finding the signal through the noise is becoming increasingly difficult because we're not being presented with the whole picture ever. So I do recommend people right. check out your books and uh, your podcast and to just come to these conversations with an open mind. So Rob, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. And, um, We'll be in touch, I'm sure. Sounds great. Can't wait to see you in real life. Yeah. It is always a pleasure to bring people like Rob Wolf onto the show. He is uh, hes one of those individuals who is hes very humble about what he can and can't do. And when somebody presents a question to him, instead of pushing back, he actually goes and does his homework. And that's why I think that everything that Rob Wolf puts out, everything he touches turns to gold. So if you want to find him and his work, go to robwolf.com. That's R-O-B-B-W-O-L-F.com. He's got a podcast with his wife, Nikki Violetti. She's also very sweet. She probably doesn't remember, but she um, she and I met at uh, PaleoFX as well. She gave me a free t-shirt at their booth. It's pretty awesome. They have a podcast together called The Healthy Rebellion Radio. Find that anywhere you get your podcast. If you want to find... LMNT, go to drinklmnt.com. You can find an affiliate code in the show notes, which can be found at holisticobjuanpod.com. He's got a couple books, namely Paleo, uh, The Paleo Solution. You can find that on Amazon and 
the Sacred Cow, which I gave a nice little uh, endorsement to in the intro. Um, and that's co-authored with Diana Rogers, who's amazing as well. So two books you definitely need to check out. Support Rob, support what he's doing, because uh, he's a great guy and he is is doing things right. So any other references or links can also be found at holisticobjuanpod.com. You can make a donation there. We are a 501c3. Any support is helpful. It really is. Support our sponsors. You can go to waveblock.com and pick up some EMF blocking stickers there. Or you can go to organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. Use code BELOVED25 on WaveBlock. Use code BELOVED on Organifi and save yourself some money in achieving optimal health. It's as simple as that. Simple, simple. My name is Nathan Riley. You can find me at BelovedHolistics.com. I've got a private association. It's a private holistic OBGYN practice, truly holistic care. We're not just talking about eat your greens and move more. We're doing that and a wealth of other things. So... Um, you can find more uh, information on my website there. I also have a collaborator program for anybody who needs a regular MD consultant to help care for their patients and clients, whether you're a doctor, midwife, birth educator, doula, what have you. It's a monthly subscription program there. You can have access to me whenever you need me to look through labs, order imaging, order meds, whatever it is for your patients and clients. I think that's just about it. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. This is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. I'm Nathan Riley, MD, the Holistic OBGYN, and I will see you next time on the Holistic of a Podcast. Take care.